0: alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to Conversations. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I'm so excited to have my friend Heather Ash Amara on today. Yay! Yay. She is the author of numerous books, including the Warrior Goddess Training Series, and she brings an open-hearted, inclusive worldview to her writing and teaching and it really is open-hearted and she has a rich blend of toltec wisdom european shamanism buddhism native american ceremony and so many things i can't even think to say but it's so good to have you and i love your new book
1: thank you michael so good to be here and to get to share the new teachings with you
0: you too heather ash so Mm -hmm. let's see a new book the warrior heart practice why did you write this book what called you to write this particular book?
1: This one was a really interesting book because I was talking to a friend of mine who was struggling, he had had a breakup, he was really upset around something, he was telling this story. And I listened and then about three days later, after I had said to him, honey, that's not exactly what happened. Like I was there, this is actually what happened. And he would go, oh my gosh, you're right. I was telling myself this whole story, I feel better. Then three days later, he told tell me the exact same story with the same amount of angst. Mm. And this happened a couple more times. And, and I remember one day looking at him and just realizing how as humans, we create so much suffering for ourselves mm. with the stories that we tell ourselves and getting hooked. And so I just prayed. I said, is there any way I can help my friend stay in the truth? Mm. Is there any way I can support him? And this whole process dropped into my being. Fully formed. Boom. I was like, okay, let's try this. And that was about six years ago. So over the last six years, I've been working it with myself, doing it with my students, um, playing with it in a lot of different ways. And we've just found it to be this, this incredible practice to help people step out of their story and to really learn how to anchor into the truth.
0: And I love the simplicity and the power of the four chambers of the warrior heart practice. So maybe you can give us just a, a brief overview and we'll get into more depth, but just kind of go through the four chambers and a little, little description of them and then we'll deepen that.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think about it that with our hearts, you don't say, I like my left ventricle the best like you know that your whole heart is really important. It's the same thing with each of the chambers. They're all very important and they work together. Mm -hmm. So the first chamber is the feeling chamber. What am I feeling? Which is separate than the second chamber, which is the story chamber, which is what am I telling myself? What's the story that I have in my head? And learning to differentiate having your feelings without telling yourself the story, which is a trick, but possible. The third chamber then is the truth. What is true here? What do I actually know is true? And that you're learning to separate out the story from the truth. What most of us do is write a better story and call it the truth. So one of the things we really explore is how do you know if it's true? And then the fourth chamber is the intent chamber. And that is your word, your focus, where do you want to put your energy? So it's not how you want the situation to be different or how you want somebody else to be different, but what energy, what quality you're willing to put your attention and your commitment to mm. one word. And then you circle back, you go back through the chambers to help untangle and create more clarity.
0: Was such a perfect book for me, because as we were talking earlier, I'm going through a breakup and I, and I realized that it's an opportunity for me to drop into my more authentic real self and feel the feelings. Maybe I haven't been willing to feel and deconstruct the stories that I've told myself about relationships in the past, and yet there's, there's a lot there. And it really boils down to, am I willing to make the choice to choose to do this process or to stay stuck? Because there's a lot of rewards staying stuck in the story. You get a lot of sympathy and, oh, that's too bad. You've been abandoned. I'm sorry. So what, what helps people to get to that point? Before we get into the chambers, what helps us to get to that point where we're actually going to make that choice to stand in our most authentic, truthful self?
1: Such a great Sometimes question. I think it's yeah. suffering. You know? It is, I know, and that's the problem. Like, It's such a great question. Really, the answer is we get, we've had enough suffering. Yeah, so we get to the point where we're like, wow, this is not fun any longer. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not. Here's how I see it is that everything that we do, there's rewards. So there's rewards for suffering. There's rewards for being a victim. There's a war rewards for punishing ourselves. I mean, there's there's we're getting something from it. Mm-hmm. Then there's also the detriment. There's also them what we're what is taking away from us. Cost. And the cost, exactly. And so there needs to be a point where we realize the cost is not worth the reward. Yeah, so such- and, and I think as we get older, sometimes we get wiser and we realize, oh, the reward is really not worth the cost because we've paid the cost.
0: Of course, I'm the embodied shamanism, embodied mysticism guy, and my question is always going to be, well, talk about the relation of this to the body because so many people are not fully in their body and some even less than that. And I don't think you could do this, this process without actually really dropping into your body to feel the feelings and the location and to, to see how the story also makes those feelings in your body. Yes, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah it's vital. I mean, it's something that, that you and I share, that love of helping people get embodied Mm -hmm. and and have practical ways to show up in the world and you know i've talked to people that have done other this is an inquiry practice because it's you're really inquiring about your story and what's going on in you but i've talked to people that have done other inquiry practices that are brilliant and yet they've used them as a way to bypass their emotional body and stay in their head rather than in their their being And so that's what I love about the warrior heart practice is that the first place you start is what am I feeling, which is about right now, this moment. If we're just telling ourselves a story, we can stay in our head. We don't have to experience, we're we're having the feelings, but we're having the feelings from here in a way because the story is generating the feelings versus separating out and being like, hi body, what's going on, sweetheart? Yeah. What's happening now? Where am I having the sensation? So it's very somatic mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. And I always invite people to either journal or feel or move like to, to, you you can also use it as a way to physically let yourself experiencing the, the emotions through your body and then tell yourself this, you know, be curious about what's the story.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things Heather Ash that, that I find difficult is, in a way we're disrupting our childhood friends. Those places where we had fear or something overwhelming and we dissociated or we had soul loss, whatever you want to call it. We suppressed our essential energy down. And that was totally appropriate when you're three or five or seven. But then we made up a story of why we did that, you know, and so, you know, stories like, well, you know, men are just evil or money is hard or I can't be happy. I'll never be happy. Those kinds of parts of us that are there. So when it comes up, you know, we're really confronting. um, It's not just a story. It is who we consider ourselves to be. And one of the ways I find uh, when I'm having a story going on, I, I'm starting to catch myself and going, it's having its story. Yeah. Not me. Nice. It's having its story. Yeah. So, and that's that connection you talk about between the big soul and the little soul. Why don't you expand on that aspect of this uh, process?
1: Yeah, that... the the big soul, little soul is a piece of what I call the map, which is the biggest picture overview of how did we get to where we're at as as humans. And I learned this originally from Don Miguel Ruiz when he was early, early in my apprenticeship with him. And so this is a very simplified version of that, that basically each of us has two aspects of self, well, thousands of aspects of self, but two main. The big soul, which is our connection to life, to love it's the part of us that knows that we're divine that we're connected and and that just sees through the eyes of pure love the second is the little soul and the little soul is our ego personality it's the part of us that perceives ourselves as separate And when we're little, these two parts work together. There isn't a problem. It's not that the little soul's bad and the big soul's good. We have to be really careful of this in spiritual traditions, because sometimes we get like, destroy your ego, your big soul is all that matters. And you get really out of balance people then. But if we realize we're here to embrace our little, there's a reason we're in bodies. There's a reason we have this little soul. It's important, but it gets misguided so when if you look at really little kids they're connected they still have big soul little soul connection and i think of it as they're holding hands and the big soul is explaining the world to the little soul but at a certain point the little soul gets distracted by the rules and agreements of who it's supposed to be by trying to figure out how to get love how to be okay and it disconnects and turns its attention to the world basically to agreements and beliefs and stories of how it should be and it tries to navigate the world through these rules that it's learned or that it's made up. And it's just like a little kid getting lost in the marketplace. So you can imagine being like four or five years old and getting lost yeah. and then believing you have to figure everything out. Most of us have that level of anxiety mm-hmm. with our little soul Our little soul's like, I don't know how to do this, but I have to survive. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: You know, you said something that really uh, points to one of the pitfalls, uh, You use the word uh, destroy my little self. And that's really radical. But most people have a sense that they do this work in order to fix their brokenness. And it's so important to recognize that real change doesn't come from being what we're not, but from actually embracing what we are. So we create the conditions for change and for growing into the, the larger self. And I think that's an important thing for people to remember because a lot of people join us in this work to get fixed and there's really nothing to fix. In fact, your, your healing mechanisms are perfect. You're getting triggered just so you can heal. And the body, the nature of the body is to heal. Like when you get a cut, you know, you keep going, Oh no, that cuts not any good. I don't want to fix that. You know, it'll never heal if you keep picking at
1: it. But if you can be with it, it
0: forms a scab and, and it, and it heals. And I think it's the same way for our emotions. So let's talk about the feeling chamber and why it's so important to be able to just discern and be with our feelings, distinct from our story.
1: Absolutely. And what you said is so true is that the body, especially the emotional, well, all of us, but your emotional body knows what it needs to do to heal. But we're constantly stuffing dirt into it, basically. Mm-hmm. So when you have your emotional body and your story tied together, the story can keep the emotion going forever. And it's like you're poking the wound over and over and over again, never giving it a chance to heal. And so learning how to separate out and just look at the, just feel the feelings is really about courage. The courage to stop exiting your emotional body. And most of us are experts at exiting. You know, instead of feeling something, we'll blame someone else or we'll clean the house or we'll distract ourselves or we'll drink or we'll overeat. You know, we, we are experts often at avoiding our emotions. And most of us have this huge backpack of old emotions that we haven't allowed ourselves to process. or We didn't know how to process sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about learning to take that backpack off, turn toward the emotional body. And listen, what's here? What am I actually feeling? Where is that feeling sense in the body? And it takes courage to do that. And it takes time sometimes to unpack the backpack. And like you said, like we get triggered. And instead of just going, this is a trigger about that thing. If you can go, oh, this is a call for me to clean up the story. And to possibly clear out the emotion as well. Because you can empty the backpack absolutely possible to empty the backpack. So then you have this incredibly tuned vehicle of your emotional body that will tell you immediately when something's off. Right now, for many of us, it's it's really gunked up because there's all these past emotions that are also all woven into the emotional body. And so we're not having a reaction to what's happening in front of us. We're having a reaction to something that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago that we never had a chance to clear out.
0: Yeah. I think one of the big pitfalls uh that throws us deeply into the story is well why am i having this feeling what's causing that feeling Gosh. and that's
1: exactly. like
0: the hook yeah you know, exactly just right into the story
1: exactly yeah yeah i have to figure it out and that's a story why do you have to figure it out who said yeah. you had to figure it out just <laughs> feel it yeah yeah exactly but it's uncomfortable our mind wants to know what's happening mm-hmm. and so i found it really helpful to to tell the mind, Hey, we're going to talk, we're going to look at the story in a little bit, Mm -hmm. like I'm coming for you. And that will, that allows the mind to rest so that you can dive deeper into the emotional body.
0: I just want to tell our listeners, if you just tuned in, I'm talking to Heather Ashamara about her new book, The Warrior Heart Practice. I think one of the big issues is technology, social media, and the terminal busyness of our times that really keeps people uh, so distracted that they have trouble being with it. why I'm such an advocate of meditation and more so than ever. Yes. um, You know, I can't get through a day without a couple hours of meditation anymore (laughs) because it's just a crazy house up there. Yes. Um, Is that thing about becoming the witness though, being able to, you know, when you can get still, then you can get to that place where, well, all this stuff is going on. I have this feeling and that sensation and that thought and that emotion. And well, yeah, but who's watching it? And and when we can get to that point of the separation and see, well, wait a minute, it's doing its thing and something is watching it. So that takes us to that place where, oh, actually, I'm a witness. I'm not the story. That's such an important piece of that. Any thoughts about how to make that um, transition, other than you know meditation and and just constantly <laughs> working?
1: <at> it? <laughs> yeah. There's. I see. There's two ways because that that witness part of us is is innate. Like all of us have that witness part. It's just buried usually by the story and by the experiencing. And so I just see there's two things to do. One do more of what you love. Because when you're doing what you love, you're immersed in something, you're not thinking, it's a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. You're you're feeding the big soul, basically. What you're doing when you're doing more of the things that you love, like you deeply love, is you're reconnecting to the your big soul. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really important to, for people to understand the big soul hasn't gone away. The big soul's right there going, everything's good. I'm right here. We're great. We're just learning to turn the little soul to bring its attention back to the big soul. And that's what happens when you're doing the things that you love. And then the other thing is clean up everything, clean up the stories, clean up the agreements, clean up the beliefs because that's what's keeping the little soul from connecting to the big soul. As you clean things up, you have more inspiration, more insights, more stillness in your being. There's not as much noise. Yeah. So, yeah, and meditation How, is how come
0: push. the big soul How come the big soul has such a quiet voice and the little soul has yeah. such a voice?
1: Such a good question <laughs> <laughs> It's loud it
0: is yeah yeah amazing ahead.
1: game that we're playing. just this amazing game that we're playing of, of reconnecting these two parts of ourselves. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think another thing uh, to add to that is having a gratitude practice, because you can't be grateful and not be present. And the whole thing yes. is to be present to what's going on. So if I'm saying, wow, I'm so grateful for this beautiful day, and I'm grateful for the fact that we have the internet, and I'm grateful for my friend Heather Ash to be all the way over in Santa Fe and, and being with <laughs> me here in Canada, you know, just you have to bring yourself into a state of presence or presencing. I like the verb presencing, you know, really powerful. I think it was Otto Schrammer who came up. Yeah.
1: Beautiful work. Yeah. Yeah. Presencing is such a great word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. And what we're doing is presencing to the feelings Mm -hmm. and the story without getting caught in it.
0: And what do you say to people who have completely, so suppressed themselves and dissociated that they can't even feel or distinguish what their feelings are. How do we, how do we work with, with that issue?
1: I talk about the, the process of courting your emotional body. Mm-hmm. That you're learning how with love, with gentleness, to invite your emotional body to come back into relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And that it's a gentle process. Mm-hmm. So for somebody that's, you know, a lot of us have repressed emotions and have have made the story up of emotions are bad or I don't know what to do with them or I'm just going to shut them down. Now, I remember when I was, I guess I was 14 or 15. We're moving from, I lived in uh, Bangkok with my family. We are moving to Singapore and we had to move, really, we moved every two years. So, um, and at the time I was, The person that I, the boyfriend that I had, like I kissed him once, big, yay, um, that I had to call him and tell him that we were moving. And right before I picked up the phone, I thought, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. So I'm just going to shut my emotions. I mean, I I made a conscious choice of like, I cannot process the amount of pain that I have right now. Shut it off. And it's taken this courting process of like, okay, sweetie, I'm sorry I shut you down. Sorry I haven't been listening to you. I'm here now. And it feels like it's almost like this little animal is like, are you really safe? Are you really going to pay attention? And you have to be present, gentle, and it'll reconnect. It's just going to take some time.
0: You're such an embodiment of the divine. Feminine, <laughs> you know? You're courting them. Me, I like the stalking part that you talked about. I'm
1: going
0: to stalk those emotions.
1: Which works, go get them. <laughs> Which works too, for sure. That's
0: yeah, wonderful. Um, I want to move on in a second, but one aspect I want to talk about is the issue. Well, we could spend the whole hour on this, so I don't want to talk about it too long, but cultural and ancestral trauma echoes or reverberations. Can you say a little yes. bit about that? Because I think that's an important aspect of this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, scientists are now discovering what shamans have known forever that our ancestor, the, the wounding or the pain of our ancestors gets passed down into our DNA. It's called epigenetics. I love that they came up with a word for it. That that's part of what we're going to be navigating in our emotional body and in our stories. And so as we learn to take stock in a way of start to gather the information around what's, what are the types of emotions that I'm carrying, what are the types of stories, we can start to separate out, oh, this isn't even mine. This is actually something that's from my, my ancestry or from my heritage, and that makes it easier to clean out than when we're taking everything personally. So, And it becomes a gift. And the other thing that I love about this practice is as you start to get some more spaciousness, you realize there's cleaning up your, you know, your personal history, and then you also get to start healing your ancestors. You also start to get seeing of like, what's the current dream of the planet that I'm carrying? How do I heal that? And we become more and more embodied as the beings that we are into our true essence. And that then affects everyone around us and gives them also the permission and the courage and the the insight about how to do their own cleaning. So yeah, it's, it's vital. such a big subject.
0: It, it takes you Huge. right to the even larger aspect of that, the whole time-space continuum. You know, wait a minute, I'm healing this and it's healing my ancestors, and it's supporting my descendants, and is time really linear going forward? You know, that brings a whole interesting, and I think doing this work will start, cause people to start contemplating those kinds of things, which is great because it's much better than being lost in our inner critic and our sorrowful stories that we have about our life and what happened. And I'm this way because my father yelled at me or my mother wasn't there for me. So let's talk about the story chamber and those kinds of things.
1: So the story chamber is where we ask ourselves the question, what am I telling myself? What am I thinking? And you want to go into the story chamber like an archaeologist. So if you were an archaeologist and you found a a pottery shard on the surface of the ground, you wouldn't go, yes, I found the pottery shard. We're done here. You would know, (laughs) keep digging. And it's the same thing with the story. Like we think, okay, I had this interaction with someone. I'm upset. The story, you know, here's my story, which is really true because look, it happened. But when you start digging, you realize, oh, wait a minute. There's this story, but there's also history. There's deeper stories to be uncovered to be healed, to be brought up into the light, to heal. Uh, And so to have that curiosity of what am I really telling myself? It takes honesty to go into the story chamber and start to unearth what's, what's actually there. What are you actually telling yourself? Yeah. And it's humbling. It really is. And it's also, it's also incredible because this is what will change your life. is to tell yourself what you're actually telling yourself instead of trying to make it better or spiritualize it or compartmentalize it. Like bring it all up. Be messy. That's what I say about the story chamber. Get messy. Let it be muddy.
0: Yes. It's following the threads and the strings that really allow you to, not that it's important to see where it come from, but to see how we are always co-creating our world. We're not individuals in a, uh, in a body and the world's out there and you're out there. Like right now we're talking, we're co-creating a, a reality together by the way we speak. And that starts really at the beginning. So following those threads brings us to, I, I feel it brings us to a greater interconnected place. And this story thing helps to deconstruct and demystify the faulty belief in separation, which, of course, in the shamanic world, it's always been that way. Everything is connected to everything and affects everything else. Talk about that whole unraveling of the story field.
1: Yes. I imagine it like this. If you've ever had a bunch of necklaces or a bunch of cords and you throw them into a bag and you walk around for a little bit or rope, if you pull it out, everything's all tangled together. And it's like this super, like how the heck does this happen so fast? And it's the same thing with our stories. And so we can have an experience around one thing and that's one thread, but then that gets tangled up with you know, our friend committing suicide when we were in high school, which gets tangled up with our fear of, I, you know, I'm just making stuff up, but it's amazing how fast these things can get tangled together yeah. With when we're not paying attention. And if you just start trying to yank them apart, it just gets worse. Mm-hmm. You have to go in with that mindfulness of what's this thread, right? It's separate than this one. Mm-hmm. Create the space. And that's, again, that witnessing point of view of getting curious about the stories and starting to separate them out so that you can then step into the next chamber and figure out what's actually true here
0: I think one of the first things is to discover the rules the standards the ideals that we say this is the way life is supposed to be supposed to be yeah. and at the heart of so much suffering so use that to take us into the truth chamber that's a good
1: segue yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a great segue yeah so The truth chamber, there must be a willingness to step into it. And I I think about it as like there's a, what's the right word? Like there's a a threshold that we have to cross to go into the truth chamber. Mm -hmm. So how do you know if something is the truth versus a story? Is that the truth is always really simple. Mm -hmm. So the truth is one sentence with a period at the end. And you have a resonance in your body, like we as we know what's true, we feel it in our body. So when you take the story and you just ask what's true, and you create the space for the truth to come, it'll arise. If you're not trying to figure out and think the truth, but you're like let your body show you the truth, it'll it'll come up. So and there's this this sense of relief. And my experience has been even if I don't like the truth that I see. I know it's true, and I feel like, okay, yes, I can work with this now. Whereas the story just makes you feel bad or mm-hmm. frustrated, or like it has a lot of content with it often. So and
0: it, it makes you feel bad, but on the other side, the cost is having to give up, manipulate, right. being right, proving your point, being seen, being a
1: victim. Yeah, exactly. yeah, all of that yeah, stuff. All is, of that, yeah.
0: That's part of the. It's not mass or whatever. It
1: is, yeah, exactly. It's all tied in. You can
0: say that on the radio, can't you? It's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Yeah,
1: you have to. You have to be willing to be wrong. Yeah. To to get to the truth, you have to be willing to like make mistakes, be wrong, have misunderstood. And we tend to not, our brains tend to want to be right. And that's why we'll spend so much time justifying and making up the stories and making it airtight. We, we're really skilled at doing that. And if you realize my, my little self wants to be right, that little soul wants to be right and wants to feel safe. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Then you can have more compassion for that part of us that's trying so hard to stay safe. And what I found for me as I've unraveled more of the story, I have so fallen in love with the truth. Mm-hmm. Like before I was scared of the truth of like, it's gonna hurt and I don't, you know, I was so invested in the story. And now there's this just like, all right, bring the truth on, I wanna know. And it's such a joy to not be afraid of it anymore. And it's not that the, you know, people always say this, the truth, the truth hurts, but the truth is the story hurts. The truth is just the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm here. I'm breathing. I'm talking. I'm breathing.
1: <laughs> I'm talking, yeah, period.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah.
0: There's a physical thing that I wanted to get out about the truth too. My experience is one of the ways in body that we can tell if it's true is that if it's true, it's expansive and if it's false, it's contractive. Mm. You
1: know?
0: yes. And truth and You know, there's an agreement reality that we have. There's truth like gravity. And then there's truth that there's no climate change. (laughs) You know, there's agreement, a reality or uh, things like that that uh, are happening. So in relationship, we can't necessarily know, we can feel the other person's truth. But can we know, (laughs) what's the Buddhist word for it? interdependent, co-arrived reality. Yes. right? Yes. Can we actually know the truth of us? Because if there's no me, then what truth are we talking about here? And how do we distinguish what's true? And the other part of that is how much are our beliefs creating the current truth that we're living in?
1: Yeah. All excellent questions. Because it's tricky because there's what we can call subjective truth. Mm -hmm. So subjective truth, I am sad, period. In this moment, I'm feeling sad. That's true. But we also understand that's not permanent. It's going to change. It's subjective in this moment that is true. And so what we're looking at is is continuing to step back and look at in the biggest picture what's true to name the subjective truths of what's true in this moment, but to to also realize that Things that seem true now, we may realize aren't true later. And that's okay. We've got to start somewhere, right? But one of the things that I talk about is water is fluid. True, unless it's frozen. And so there's all these places where as we step back, we can get clearer and clearer about what's true. What can I see as true now? And then what's a more enduring truth? And we can hold both. And I think that's really important that we're not holding one or the other. Just like with big soul, little soul. Like there's big soul truth, which is the biggest picture. You know, and you could say to yourself, well, the breakup doesn't matter because in the big picture, we're all connected. And so my heart shouldn't hurt. Okay, that story, (laughs) right? The truth is, I'm in pain, period. My heart hurts, period. That's true. Mm -hmm. And what's also true is this is a blip in your life. Mm-hmm. in the like biggest scope of your life. They're both true. And if we negate one or the other, we're back in store and we start to suffer.
0: Yeah. I like your metaphor of the water because it's not just frozen is ice, water is waters, and then it can become steam at a certain steam.
1: temperature. yeah. So
0: it's a state change. And that means that the only truth that really exists is now. It, if it's, if it's the imagined future, like I have disaster thinking, that's one of my things, you know, I had a lot of disaster as a child. And so my first thought is, oh, there's going to be an accident. Oh, my dog is going to get hurt. Oh, you know that. And I have to manage that. But if I'm right now, I see that's just a thought or I fall into the remembered past, which often isn't even the past it's the memory you know if you have siblings yes. you say the story and they go that, that's not what happened yeah,
1: that didn't happen exactly Yeah.
0: so it's a state change from now to now to now constantly and in order to be witness to that we have to be willing to embrace uncertainty yes so that's talk about that
1: Absolutely, absolutely it's so beautiful our story wants to understand to know to fix things and the more that we get out of story and step into the truth the more we realize we don't know basically Mm -hmm. the more that we realize that the states can be very fluid and that it's in this moment this is true and what what again what i found in my experience is that and there's this openness of and that could change in a second Mm -hmm. not in this in the story of like oh it's going to you know, you have to be careful because we can go, it's going to change. I want it to change like this. It's just like, I have no idea. And I really look at this in relationship with human beings that you can fixate and say, this human is this way. This is the truth. They hurt me. They did this bad thing. They. But you don't know who that human's going to be in 10 years mm-hmm. or 10 minutes. And so there's this whole, again, there's a holding both. Here's the actions and who knows what's going to happen next. So we do there's that uncertainty and that mystery like we're in we're standing in the mystery all the time of being open to what could happen what's possible without fixating on it
0: and also from a relational sense a you don't know the history and b if you're not really present you don't know the needs that are actually being acted out in a inauthentic way because sometimes just listening to someone when they're in that kind that type of either abusive or you know challenging way or something like that and we shift our listening the whole thing shifts because suddenly people oh are you oh you're listening to me Oh, I was just trying to get you to know I'm a person and I'm here, but really I wanted my mother's love, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's okay, I can be with you now. And I think that is a good segue into the fourth chamber, because when I think of the fourth chamber of intent or intention, it's really about receiving. And receiving is the big soul where, for me, in my view whereas the little soul is chasing after trying to get that so there's a huge distinction in in letting an intention sit and holding it and chasing after it so i wanted to start that part um for the for the intention section
1: yeah beautiful that's why i have people pick one word for their intent for their focus Mm -hmm. is that what you're learning to do is embody that intent is to bring that into your experience rather than thinking about it or trying to figure it out or try and make other people (laughs) to your intent, right? Which is where we often go. So one word, which is what am I willing to commit to? What energy do I want to bring back into the situation? So again, it's not, You know, my intent is the other person changes their behavior. The intent is I want to be more loving. I want to be compassionate. I want to be present. Mm -hmm. And so you pick what that focus is and then you commit to now figure out how to embody it by going back through the chambers. So intent is incredibly powerful. And. For a lot of us, because we don't know what our intent is, we don't know where we want to put our attention, our attention gets hooked and dragged and we get distracted by other people's experience or what experience we think we're supposed to be having. And so this is a way for us to say, okay, where am I putting my attention? And it gives us that North Star so that we can start to guide ourselves more efficiently and more effectively in the world. Because this process isn't about like you get to your intent and then you're done. It all goes away. It's about now you go back into your world and how do you bring that intent and your truth into your actions, into your story, into how you're perceiving things, into how you're relating. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very active. Yeah. And there's also a surrender. Yes. You're letting go of what it looks like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What I notice in working with people is myself included, (laughs) that there's always, or often, there's often a fuzzy intent, a not really clear. So I like your one word issue. And I think what I see is that people are unwilling to get really clear about their intention because of their story and that they would have to take responsibility the totally. ability to respond for that and then when their story comes up and looks like a handy place to use my story to get attention or whatever you know I want to keep it a little fuzzy well I didn't really mean that way you know the one word kind of kind of you know I am love I am compassion I am possibility I'd like I'd like That Mm -hmm. aspect of it. Talk about that whole area of taking total responsibility for our life and our choices once we go through these other three chambers.
1: Absolutely. You know, we have a lot of stories as a society, as what we call the dream of the planet, around blaming other people or punishing yourself. So we 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 have a story tied up with responsibility. That responsibility means you have to punish yourself or or give responsibility away and other people should do it. And when you look at responsibility from a warrior heart perspective, it's freedom. Responsibility equals freedom because Mm. what responsibility is, is what action can I take? We come back to ourselves and we're not punishing ourselves. We're just like, okay, what's my intent? Where am I gonna put my energy? You know, like in my life right now, I'm untangling. There's a bunch of things happening in my community right now that are really messy. And at first I was like, why are they doing that? Like, how could they do that? And I had to (laughs) stop and just go, what's my intent? And then come back to how am I responsible for this? Because I am Mm -hmm. not from a blame point, but just like there's seeds that got planted that are creating this now. And so how do I adjust by taking responsibility for it so I can change it inside of myself? yeah so i can use it as a growth opportunity and that's been so beautiful because it's I've, i finally learned what i'm really getting this round i'm like oh my gosh i'm taking responsibility without punishing myself yeah. which is a joy because then you're like all right I'm going back in it's my my prayer for everyone of, of getting when you claim that intent and you take responsibility for how you're going to bring it in the world and know you're going to make mistakes it's going to be rough sometimes you're going to have to clean things up, yeah. then there isn't this built-in punishment. It's just creativity, trying again. Okay, I'm back. Mm-hmm. And it becomes an experiment and an exploration rather than I have to do this perfect. That's the story. Yeah. Or I have to punish my, that story, like all that story. Just what's your word? How do you support yourself mm. in embodying it?
0: I love it the interchange between freedom and the ability to respond or responsibility. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So we've gone through the four stages, but that's not the end because it's circular, circular and cyclical. So talk about well, why then do we go back into the feeling chamber to uh, when we get clear on our intent?
1: Yeah, it's so important that we integrate. So really, I see this, the, the last part of the process, which I call circling back, is really about integrating your intent and your truth back into the story and the feeling chamber. So where most of us live is in the, between the feeling and stories, bouncing back and forth. And so what we're doing is we're taking these two, I think of them as upper chambers, the truth and the intent. So you get your intent. Let's say your intent is love. imagine you're holding hands with love. And then you're going back into the truth chamber and you're gathering up your truth. What, do you, what is true? And sometimes you see more truth than you could before because now your intent clear. But you're gathering the truth and now you're going back into the story chamber with new eyes. So you're now looking through the eyes of truth and intent and you're going to see something completely different than what you saw when you were in it, when you were in it the first time. And this is where you can start to look at how do I bring this intent into my story, into how I'm gonna be in relationship to this story. Because the story doesn't just end. The story's about other people usually, right? So now you're gonna go interact with the other people. But now you have your intent and your truth as guardians, as guides, as allies to go back into the story with, to see the story in a different way. And then we always close the practice in the feeling chamber. What am I feeling now? And sometimes you go through the chambers and you feel elated. You feel ecstatic. You feel relieved. And sometimes you might feel grief or frustration because more stuff has come up. That doesn't mean you've done it wrong. You know, really, this practice is not about, you know, you're going to be in four easy steps. You'll be in bliss. It's really about being real with what's true for you. And I've had experiences of going through the process and coming out to the feeling chamber, realizing I feel disappointed still. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's disappointment present and knowing it's deep, it's an older one. What I found is as you just hold it, as you just honor whatever your feelings are, they they start to dissipate. Your emotional body knows what it needs to do to heal. And it'll help create that. Let that happen.
0: Beautiful. I just want to tell our listeners, if you just tuned in, I'm talking to Heather Ashamara about her new book, The Warrior Heart Practice. Just a delight to be with you. And, well, we're getting close to the end of our time, but there's a a number of other things I wanted to talk about. You have an easy process, first of all, for moving beyond resistance. I love that. The stop, lean in, and be with. Maybe you could talk about that because the resistance is, is always going to come up.
1: It is always going to come up. And so resistance, fear, you know, these things that we wish weren't here. But I really think about it is that when resistance arises, instead of resisting resistance, that we stop and open our hearts and, and really say, okay, high resistance, here it is, that we're present with the resistance and that we're not trying to push and force against resistance, we're just needing it and acknowledging it. And what often happens then is we see our way through versus we go into that fight mode of like, I'm battling my resistance. It doesn't work so well. <laughs> and same thing with fear, same thing with self-doubt. Hi, oh, self-doubt's here. So we're not trying to get rid of them. We're just honoring, old, like that part of me is freaked out, okay.
0: It's the old thing, resistance causes persistence.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things when I was back in New Mexico and did the 10 day vision quest last year in the Gila, it was amazing. And what really, you know, the third or fourth day in there, what really clicked in for me was the importance of working with our inner child or our child self. And I think that's an important part. You mentioned it in your book, too, in this process of our growth-healing work that we're doing here. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe how you suggest people go about that?
1: Yeah, that, that creating space for ourselves is so important to really set aside time that's just for us. Mm-hmm. Because especially with things, you know, life is so busy. Like, we're so there's so many things pulling at our attention, so many things that distract us, so many things on our to-do list. And so there's this, again, for me, it's about the integration process of how do we create the space for ourselves so that we can let those old emotions arise or so we can take a different look at the stories so we can be curious about, okay, what am I telling myself that's actually not serving me? So we can review where we've set intent, where we've gotten clear about what our intent is, but where we're not actually using it. So those those places of, mindfully separating ourselves out to do our work so that we can integrate back in.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Another thing that I was thinking of was, particularly from doing a lot of shamanic journey work, is actually journeying to or asking the story, well, what do you need to heal? I think that was brilliant. You put that in the book and it was like, yes, of course. Go to the story and ask the story. Go the
1: story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> ask the story. What's going on? Yeah. And there's so many fun ways that you can work with the Warrior Heart practice. I'm, I'm writing the companion book right now, and it's, it's been really fun to just u- using it in my own life and using it with my community because we figured out a way that it's really powerful for cleaning up communication issues with people. You know, to start with, here's what I'm feeling. What's the story I'm telling myself? What's actually true, like working with someone to go, well, what's true here? Let's both share our stories and let's put them out in front of us so we can sift through to get to the truth. Realizing that our truths might be really different, that's okay. And then what's our intent together? So yeah. that's been really powerful. And that and same thing with the journeying. like let's go talk to the story, let's, let's act it out. I also had one of my students created a board that she got a little figure and she walked herself through the chambers physically with her little person on the board. We've done that. We put like tape on the t- on the floor and created the four chambers and, and physically walked people through, which is also incredibly powerful to do as well.
0: That's great. This is a really yeah. juicy opportunity for a look at, well, why are we in relationship? For me, it is about learning, you know, having almost like a foil to be able to reveal my story. Talk just a minute or two about that whole issue of, how this can work in relationships.
1: Absolutely. People pull out different stories. So you have these two different beings and then you put them together. And this story that might've been hibernating for 50 years suddenly is super strong and connects with their story. Mm-hmm. So it can get, you know, relationships are so great because they bring so much stuff out and they can also get super tangled because now our stories are tangled and we don't even realize, we don't even know what the other story is. But it's dangled, it's somebody else's. So I always look at with every relationship I have, I have an intent for every relationship. What's my intent with this relationship? Because that helps me guide how I'm going to navigate with this person. Um, And and it's also if you're in a really intimate relationship with someone to know what their intent is. So you can see that your intent is aligned. Mm -hmm. And to also check in and update your intent. Because they can change.
0: Yeah. I think there's no greater learning field than being in a intimate relationship with someone and both entering, being in and leaving, you know, which I'm in the process of working with that energy in in a way that's um, with the person that we totally love each other. And it's time to move on. And there's a lot of feelings and there's a lot of stories. And in the end, doesn't make any difference. The intent is creating a loving separation at this point yeah yeah
1: yeah and navigating all that comes up from that
0: exactly exactly
1: it's rich for sure
0: you know i mentioned stalking earlier and but i love that in your book you brought in the eagle the jaguar and the spider and Mm -hmm. i think that's such a an awesome multi-dimensional view. I'd love it if you could share that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's different types of stalking. So it's stalking, like the, mo- what most people relate to, is the jaguar. So if you think about a jaguar, a jaguar stalks its prey over days. It's very active. It's always going out. And so jaguar stalking is that you're you're taking action to learn, to gather information, to learn about the the lay of the land, basically. But there's also two other types of stalking which are just as valuable so one is eagle the eagle stalking and how eagles hunt is that they get the biggest picture view they have a the huge view and then they go down and so we also learned in in terms of stalking ourselves we also need to, to step back to get that distance to go what is this a bigger pattern part of of my family of myself so we get to see the map of our agreements and beliefs and just the territory from a big point of view. And then the third kind is spider. And how spiders hunt is they build a web and they wait. And they wait and they magnetize their prey to them. Mm -hmm. And that's also an incredibly valuable way to learn about ourselves is that you have a question or you have a sense of something and then you wait, You, you settle in to let the information come to you. So we want to learn how to be skillful and really listen to what kind of stocking is needed now in my life so I can learn more about how to untangle or get clear whatever it else it is that we're working on
0: receiving versus sh- versus chasing
1: Yes receiving versus chasing exactly I love that. yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Heather Ash, I love you so much. You're so amazing and such a gift to the world. And I hope everyone buys this book. I, of course, read the books of everyone who's on the show, but um, I just so enjoyed and resonated with uh, the Warrior Heart Practice book. Heather Ash Amara, thank you for your amazing gift to the world that you are.
1: Thank you, Michael. So delightful to be here (laughs) with you and to always feel my love for you so much gratitude and blessing
0: conversations is an independently produced program supported by kvmr 89.5 nevada city and listener contributions we are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration social justice and spiritual fulfillment If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.